welcome to a special edition on the DM Podcast this week. I am joined by Miss Melissa Borum. Melissa and I finally crossed paths thanks to a mutual friend of ours, Miss Aaliyah Stewart, and Melissa's campaign manager, Miss Angel Watson, for making this possible. Melissa and I really had a dope conversation over Zoom. I personally prefer in person, but thank you to other outlets, we were able to get this episode done. If this is your first time hearing about Melissa, Melissa is very influential. She wears many hats. She is beloved by many. And she was born and raised here in Northwest Indiana and is currently campaigning to have a seat in Congress here in the state of Indiana. It's a pleasure to finally have her on a podcast. Enjoy this episode. Born in East Chicago, Indiana. Um, raised in Maryville, and I currently reside in Gary, Indiana, which is where I bought my first home. Um, I uh, graduated from Indiana State and Valpo Law School. Uh, While attending Valpo, I worked for a U.S. congressman, I worked for a U.S. senator, and I worked for the House Committee on Appropriations, uh, which appropriates the budget for this entire country. Um, in Congress. And so um, after graduating law school, I um, began managing government affairs for a global aviation company, uh, which was uh, totally the goal, but super unrealistic because, you know, people usually don't graduate from law school and land their dream job. And so um, it was by divine design that I was able to Um, land that um, amazing opportunity. And um, since being there for the last four years, I've been able to get legislation um, passed the uh, Congress and Senate and signed by the President of the United States to set aside $50 million in the form of scholarships for the aviation industry. Um, And I have also worked on a stimulus package and we continue to work on a stimulus package um, to make sure that people in um, the aviation industry, the maintenance and repair part of the aviation industry have jobs in healthcare. And so, you know, I I work tirelessly to save about 200,000 jobs across this country. That's really dope. So let's take a step backwards. Like what got you into politics? What made you so hungry to help others? So I've been in politics my entire life. Um, my godfather and cousin is a state senator in East Chicago. Um, and, and my cousin is the prosecuting attorney for Lake County. And so um, I've been involved in politics my entire life. I you know, can remember as a young child canvassing, knocking on doors. And so advocacy has always been a part of my upbringing. Um, when I was uh, at Indiana State, I couldn't decide what type of lawyer I wanted to be. And so I actually shadowed about 10 attorneys in Indianapolis while um, still attending Indiana State to figure out what type of law I wanted to practice. And so once I, I had already done the Indiana General Assembly internship with the state legislature. Um, and so I was you know, leaning towards that, but I didn't know. And so I met a couple attorneys um, during that process who were lobbyists. And I fell in love with their profession. I fell in love with what they do. And then I ultimately realized that all economic development starts with the elected official. It starts in a legislative process. And so I figured that if I can control um, the money, then I can direct it to where it needs to go. And if I can't direct it to where where it needs to go, then I can make sure that 
you know, residents and constituents are qualified to capitalize on that economic development when it comes to their city. So I've just become, I became a like political uh, strategist with like, oh, this is how we get money into our communities. But it's a two uh, step process. What are some of the challenges that you face uh, while you were campaigning? Um, so I face uh, ageism, racism, and sexism, right? I am a 32-year-old African-American female, and I don't shy away from who I am because I know sure. who I am. Um, and so, but I come with the most experience. Most people say that I'm a unicorn, right? How, how are you able to you know, get legislation signed by a president and you're only 32 and that happened when I was 30. You know, how does that happen? Well, I'm extremely focused, right? I've done everything that my parents told me to do. I, you know, went to school, I buckled down, I focused and I'm extremely uh, task oriented. And so because of that um, skill set that I have, I, I'm, I'm trying to lead the way. I'm trying to show people that if you do X, Y, and Z, yes, it is boring. And yes, I am super lame and, and everything else. And I, I sit home most days, right, alone huh, right. with the dog. But it's so worth it to be able to say that, you know, I did do everything that my parents told me to do. And I'm out here um, in the country making a difference. I, I love it. I mean, me still being an active ball player and seeing what you're doing, putting in that groundwork, still trying to make it work with the coronavirus just lingering everywhere you still have that desire, like, I got to get it by any means. Who was those influential people in your life besides your parents that really influenced you to still continue to go hard? So, um, I would have to say my godparents, um, Senator Lonnie Randolph and also um, Mrs. Randolph. Uh, she's, she's probably my best friend and also my godparent. Um, Mrs. Randolph worked tirelessly for the community and for the enhancement of the community, um, not just in East Chicago, but across um, North Lake County. And so it's, she's such an inspiration. She just keeps going um, because, you know, we can tell the discrepancies between North Lake County and South Lake County, and we can tell, you know, it, it's unfair. And so she worked so hard to make sure that, you know, everyone has an equal opportunity at advancing. Um, and so I, I've learned so much from her uh, throughout my life. And so, yeah. That's, that's dope. Like, so you have the younger generation that's coming up and following you and they see you're a sister, you know, with these older men all in Capitol Hill. How do you navigate that and still channel who you are being from Northwest Indiana? So um, I've been able to be a chameleon, right? I don't have to compromise who I am to get things done. I have a really good uh, knack for negotiation. And so the art of negotiation is just to find out what people want um, sure. and, and do your research on who that person is, you know, what they do in their free time and, and figure out what they like. And so for me, the way that I, you know, people want to know, how did I get legislation signed by Donald Trump? Right. And yes, He's a Republican and he is um, him. Sure, <laughs> sure. But it's the art of saying, hey, we have a deficit 
uh, or a shortage of uh, aviation professionals, right? In the tune of uh, over 300,000, um, close to 400,000 just in North America. So what does that do for tourism, right? He owns hotels. What does that do for um, our national economy, right? That's what he's most worried about. And so it's saying, hey, there will be a deficit um, if we continue in his way, in, on his route and pathway. And so figuring out that he cares about, you know, his, his hotel chain and he cares about the national economy and, and tying it to the deficit of the aviation industry um, was huge for him. And, and we got it signed. And not only, you know, we had to work through 435 members of Congress and 100 members in the Senate. And it's, it was a bipartisan effort and it was signed. And so it's not about, you know, just me being an African-American female. It's about my art of negotiation and being able to make someone see the benefits of what I am trying to sell. What was your experience like working with Congress, uh, Pete Viskoski and U.S. Senator Dick Durbin? Amazing. So um, you couldn't pick two more um, passionate members of Congress. Um, they are so in tune with um, what the community needs and they fight tires, tirelessly for the advancement of um, their communities. And so I really enjoyed the experience of working with them. I think that I probably enjoyed working for the House Committee on Appropriations better because it gave me a chance to really see, you know, how the budget is created. And, um, you know, there it's created by normal, you know, people like you and I, they don't come from finance, they don't have finance degrees, they don't, you know, they just happen to be on the Appropriations Committee. They've worked their way through Congress. And the things that they prioritize um, is pretty uh, amazing. And um, so it, I think I've learned the most there. Um, it, it was like Monopoly money, right? That's, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's so cool. That's so cool to me because you, you did so much and you're only 32. So I always, I'm a visionary. But I so I'm am like, behind. Let me tell you, I am behind, okay. right? So most people think, oh my God, you know, in the Midwest, like you've done so much. But when I was on Capitol Hill and I worked for the Appropriations sure. Committee, I was 27 years old and in law school. Mm. Mm. I was working alongside of a 17-year-old. Okay. I I'm 10 years behind, right? In, in right. my eyes, right? Because right. this has become normalized to people who live in a DMV area. And why can't it be normal for people in Gary? Why can't it be normal for people in Chesterton? Why can't it be normal right. for people in East Chicago to actually have a presence on Capitol Hill while in high school, right? It's normal to them. Why can't it be normal for us? And so that's Absolutely. why I said I'm behind because, you know, these, this is my experience and these are the things that I want to do. I want to help can better connect the first congressional district with Congress, right? I want to make sure that, you know, kids who are, you know, even if we don't get a high school program, I would like to see high schools actually visit um, Capitol Hill. But I, I want to definitely make sure that we get college students in my um, congressional office the first year and Absolutely. You know, on a committee the second year and inside of an agency the third year so that when they're about to graduate, you know, they have the connections, they have the experience, and they have the education 
to walk right into a job um, in whatever agency that they choose. And so that's important to me. No, absolutely. I 1000% agree because I look at you as this figure that's really doing service and putting in a lot of work. And even though you're with that 17 year old, you're from my neck of the wood. A lot of people don't get that opportunity. Seriously. And it's, and it's a W regardless. And and that's how I feel there. Uh But we don't. So a part of the issue is that we don't, we don't know, right? The only reason that I knew to even ask was because I went to law school with a guy from Maryland and he, I asked him what he did the summer before. And he said, Oh, I, I, you know, worked for the budget committee and, um, don't worry about it. Angel, don't worry about it. Um, I worked for the budget committee and I said, well, how did you get that opportunity? And he said, um, that he said, well, I asked my Congresswoman and I said, really? He said, I asked for, um, opportunities that, um, were on Capitol Hill, but not in her office, um, because I had already had that experience. And I said, really? He said, so go ask your congressman to go to Capitol Hill, but not in his office. And I said, okay. So I went to Congressman Pete Vesklowski and I said, hey, you know, are there any opportunities on Capitol Hill, but not in your office? And he, he answered me as honestly as he could and said, I don't know. And the reason he didn't know is because in 31 years, no one had asked him. Wow. I was That's- the first to ask. And so I was the first to get. And so, you know, we don't even know what questions to ask. And that's a part of the problem, right? If no one is telling us what questions to ask, how do we know to ask? And that happens so much in communities, you know, especially the community that I live in. We don't know what questions to ask. We don't know what opportunities are out there. We don't know what kind of exposure we can get because we don't know to ask. We don't. It was, um, so my recruitment and, uh, when I was at Bowman, just going to these schools, uh, the last guest I had, we were talking about education and how athletes should be more diversified themselves once they get to school. So obviously everything was spoon fed for me in terms of which school to attend. The college goes like, Hey, here's our location. Come take a visit. Still. I don't know what questions to ask. I'm just meeting you where you're comfortable. So everything I see is really cool until I get there, now I'm at the cafeteria having conversations with different students and they're telling me about, oh, I had to go through this. These books mm-hmm. I had to pay for. Not having the experience because everything was spoon fed in right. regards to my recruitment, but I didn't know what to ask if I didn't have basketball. Right. And, and I think we need to implement that more in our school system and being more hands on with the kids because everything is in the palm of their hands. Right. Right. You, you are so on point with that. It, it, um, it's not knowing what to ask comes in different um, forms in people's lives. No, I, I agree. How did you balance everything? Like you went to I-State and you went to Valparaiso Law. Who taught you how to balance everything with life so far? Oh, so interesting. So when I was 16 years old, so I've been balancing a long time in my life. When I was 16 years old, um, my dad bought me a really nice car and, um, it was a Grand Jeep Cherokee leather seats. It was super nice. And he said, okay, now you're cut off. And I was like, whoa, Hey, Hey Frank, what are you talking about? And he said, um, he said, you're cut off. And I was like, what do you mean I'm cut off? I'm your only girl. Like who does that? 
And so I had a complete meltdown, but what he did was one of the most important things in my life. And yes, it taught me balance. So he said, you want new J's? I said, yes, I want new J's. He said, figure out how to get them. You want new clothes? Yes, figure out how to do it. And I'm like, what? Who does this? Are you kidding? He's, he's not kidding. Um, and um, so I got a paper route and I still had to maintain a 3.4 GPA. I still had to perform at a very high level on the basketball team, right? I was on varsity for all four years. And I said, well, you know, the paper route is the only thing that makes logical sense. You're a basketball player. We have to practice in the evenings. It's not like we can go right. and, you know, get a job. And um, so I got a paper route. So at 2.30 every morning, I would get up and I would do my paper route until about 5.30. And then I would come home, I would get ready for school and um, go to classes, uh, go to basketball practice, do my homework because I had to still maintain my GPA, I would eat, and then I would go, you know, to sleep and do it all over again. But it definitely helped me with balancing what's important and getting things done, right? So for most of my life, I've been operating, you know, doing 16 to 18 hours a day. Wow. So that's, you just, you just make it work, right? Like, you know, when I was, I started managing government affairs when I was in my third year of law school. And so I, at the time, lived in Maryville, but my job was actually in Wooddale, Illinois, which is nine miles inside of O'Hare. And so I would get up every morning. I would, uh, four days a week, I would go and I would work four or five hours a day. Um, which is an hour and a half away from Marinville. And then I would go to work. I would, in the evenings, go to school because I was still in law school. That was a two-hour drive. And then I would come home. So every day I was in the car for about four to four and a half hours, in addition to three to four hours of class, in addition to working four to five hours. And so all of my days were long. But, I mean, that's that spirit of perseverance, right? I know what my goal is and I know what I have to do. Let's go. Right. Let's go no, get it. Absolutely. You start, and you mentioned that you were a former athlete, played on varsity all four years. I'm assuming yes. you were a point guard. Point guard. I, you would be wrong. Two guard? Yes. I, I have a J out of this world. Because I'm like, you know, two guards, they shooters. Yes, you know? I can shoot and really well. How you how you're influential, you know, in the <laughs> real world on the court, I know you was giving out assists too, making other people around yes. you better. Absolutely. How was playing varsity for all four years? It was it was um, a little intimidating, right? Right. Um, it made it made it was uh, a friend of mine, Brittany Urshry and I, and we were on varsity all four years, and it made us grow up fast, right? And there's politics in basketball, right? And no question. <laughs> and yeah. you know who's new to the team and who's the new girl, but. Um, it, it helped us navigate life and it helped us grow up fast and, and how to manage, you know, a team and, and how to manage our position on the team and, you know, how not to get hazed. You know, that was my thing. I was not getting hazed as a freshman. And um, they were mad at me because I was ducking dodge and, you know, I'm a fighter. So we can go. Like, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. No, I, I like how straightforward you are. And that's why I couldn't wait to, you know, get you on the podcast when shout out to my guy Bo Patton, he mentioned that your family is like the mecca of 
Maryville sports. What is he, what did he mean by that? So, um, my brothers, uh, one is my god brother. His name is Lonnie Randolph and James Borum both played, you know, with, um, Jamal Davis, John Davis, Eugene, um, and they were hoopers. They were hoopers. I mean, they were the real deal. And so from there, you know, my parents would open the gyms. My mom is a custodian in Maryville, and so she would open the gyms to make sure we were able to um, practice nonstop, day in and day out. My brother would take Josh Mayo into the gym, and and I would go into the gym, and we would just hoop. And you wow. know, it, it you know it was like my brother had the number, then number ten. Josh had the number ten, and then Bo Patton had the number ten, and so it was just like a legacy, right? And so I mean, but that's what that village is, right? And that's how I was raised. We, you know, we didn't have to be family to be family, and that's how I look at, you know my move to Gary and my um, just me being a good neighbor, right? It is my duty and it is my obligation to look out for my neighbors because my neighbors are supposed to look out for me. No so that's question. what we do. That's, yeah, that's how we've been raised. And so that's why, you know, Bo said we are Mecca of basketball in Maryville because we just look out like my, still to this day, my parents will take kids into the gym and just let them practice. And you hit a key word, which is village. Like it takes a village to build a man. It does. And it's just my mom and I. And I've been blessed with a lot of mentors within Gary. Uh -huh. And when I went to DePaul, made a lot of good relationships. And then going to Kentucky, where it's mostly conservative. So that was a different energy level that I got How from a lot that? of my- How was that experience? Well, I had crossed spring 16 of Alpha. And so- Okay, brothers, Brad. Yeah, a lot of brothers took me in. <laughs> showed me how to go in men's warehouse and not be intimidating. Uh -huh. And I'm like, cause I'm from Gary. So all we know is going to Foot Locker and getting the latest kicks and getting the fresh white tea or whatever. But they're like, we're going to teach you how to go in men's warehouse and ask what is my suit size? That was different language. So was, I was like, how do I tie a tie? And they're like, brother, we're going to teach you outside of basketball because you need to be employable once basketball stops. So that was information I took being in that conservative area and taking it back to Gary, just like when you was in Capitol Hill in DC and you're in Indianapolis, you take that information and spread more awareness. Absolutely. So I just thought, I thought that was really dope. And those mentors now I still talk to to this day because they just checked to see if I'm breathing. They said, hey, Duan, look at the economy. Make sure you're watching the news. You know, don't absorb the news all day, but be aware of what's going on so you don't be in that room not knowing what's going on because you need to be woke and aware of life. And in your community, we have this platform where we can spread more awareness. Mm -hmm. So that village, just I want to emphasize that important word of village and a lot of people in our community and other places, but I hit here because they think they know it all and you need a team in order to move forward. You need, you need a team. And, you know, one of the things that I want to help um, the first congressional with is just exposure, right? You know, I've traveled all across this country and I've seen the good, the bad, the indifferent. And for me, it's, it's more, it's, it's about more than just being raised here. 
I want to know that you have worldly experience. I want to know that you've been somewhere outside of your, your, your district. I want to know that you, you know, you've practiced being a village even when it wasn't your position. Um, and so I think my dog wants to join the, uh, <laughs> no, he's, he's nice. He's all black. Yeah. He's all black dog. I saw, there you go. Yeah. I, I looked him up. I was looking up him too. Sir Duke. Yeah. No. Yeah, so, yeah. But, uh, so it's, so for me, it's like, you know, what did you do before you were, you know, an elected official, right? And, you know, I want to know that you were a village for someone. I want to know that you helped someone. It's not just good enough that you help someone when you're in office. I want to know that that's a part of your character. I want to know that that's a part of your mission in life to be a vessel for others, not just when you're getting paid to do it. Because if I'm getting paid to do it, does it really count? Right. Right. No. Unless I, that I... was my mission beforehand. Right. Unless that right. was my ministry beforehand. I'm, I'm still in that finding my purpose but what god influenced me to do is have that influential when i'm in europe and i'm in macedonia and i'm the only brother there in town they're looking at me like who obviously we know why he's here but they're staring out for curiosity uh -huh. and i'm like i spoke to the kids at bowman and i'm like hey i walk these same hallways i broke down the same huddle i'm very fortunate to be getting a check to provide for my family and play in europe you guys mm -hmm. can too but you don't have to always be around the negative influencers because there's negative influencers everywhere. And I Absolutely. emphasize Gary, there's a lot of positive influencers as well that has yeah. a lot of knowledge. And I let them know I'm cultured enough to understand that we have what it takes in our community. And there's a lot of podcasts everywhere. It's oversaturated yeah. with podcasts. But if you know where you're beloved and you know there's a lot of influential people that's not getting recognized, and you have that gap where you can get new listeners to tap in. I saw that where I could fit in with this podcast platform. And when I saw your hunger, listening to your interviews, I'm like, yeah, she's in it for the long haul. Like she, I am. she got it. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah. Because really there's too dope. much at risk, right? And you know, I've done the hard work up front. And, you know, for me, because I was told this too, right? Um in order to get to the next level, in order to succeed, you have to have education and experience because for decades, people that look like you and I were told that, oh, you, if you don't have the education or if you don't have the experience, then you're not qualified to um, apply. And so I wanted to alleviate those excuses, right? I wanted to alleviate anything that I could control. Um, and so now we can only talk about the things that I can't control as to why I shouldn't apply. And right. so then do we come into discrimination? Because those are the things I can't control. Um, so for me, um, it's always, you know, thinking 10 steps ahead and making sure that I'm doing everything that I can to be an example for the people around me to do everything that they can, right? It's, it's so much better on this side of, the rainbow, right? I, I have so many friends who are, you know, did it their way and it didn't quite work out. And right. so they look at me and they're like, well, how come you're able to have, you know, this nice house in Gary? And I'm like, because I'm lame, right? Because I don't know. It's nice houses in Gary. It's nice houses in Gary. Right. 
because I, I don't really go out. You know, my circle is my circle. I like positivity. I like good friends. I like to laugh and joke. Sure. Um, but we all work hard and we all grind hard. And, you know, being each other's um, shoulder to lean on, that's so important. And so there's a lot of positive and good things that are happening in Gary. And so what I'm trying to do is make sure that we can have a seat at the table at the highest level. Um, and we haven't had that. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and last segment, you, I read in Northwest Indiana Times where it got my attention, you was top 20 under 40. How was yes. that feeling knowing like the notoriety you was getting to be, you know, top 20 under 40? Um, you know, it's, it's an honor because I won it at 31. And, you know, there are so many people who went it at 39 and they're like, well, what were you doing <laughs> that, you know, you won it at uh, 31. And, you know, I wasn't on their radar. You know, most people didn't know who I was until I ran for office um, against uh, Charlie Brown for the third uh, district county council. And um, so most people didn't know who I was. And then once people began to hear my story and hear my journey and the times didn't, um, a segment on both of us and they actually said well we're not going to endorse anyone in this race because they're both very qualified individuals for this position um it was an honor to be compared to charlie brown right someone who has spent 36 years in the state legislature um and so for me that that it was just a complete honor but it let me know that i was on the right path um and so i, I love the excitement about 20 under 40 but you know, I'm trying to get to, we, we need to be on Forbes. Right. We need to be, right. we, 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 we can take over the world, right? And so, you know, it's, it's great that I was 20 under 40, but I'm looking for Aaliyah to be on Forbes, right? I'm, sure. I'm, I'm looking for, you know, the next generation to do even more, right? You know, it is my job to make sure that you and I may be in the same generation, but, um, it's, it's my job to make sure that you are my boss. That is my right. job to make sure that I am reporting to you, to make sure Aaliyah is reporting to you, to make sure that my younger cousins and, and, and family members are report that I'm reporting to them. Because at some point we have to pay it forward. That's the only way to build a legacy. So it is my job to pour into as many people as I can so that they can do twice as much as I was able to do. It's possible. Uh it, no, it, it is. And not to mention, you served on the board of Ladies of Virtue, yes. your mentor, your mentoring program. Um, yes. How important is mentorship for your young adolescents coming up uh, in our community? Um, so it's extremely important. Um, it's hard to choose something you've never been exposed to. And so what we do through that mentorship program is we expose young girls from inner city Chicago to different opportunities um and it's amazing the people that they are able to encounter um and so that's the type of thing that we need to do right here we need to make sure that we have classes that are in high school in washington dc interacting with other people whether it's dc whether wherever they want to go we need to make sure that they have these possibilities to engage with other people one of the other things that i realized there's a group i think it's called the future farmers of america ffa and um 
they actually came to the hill right there is an organization where they had you know different representatives who were in high school come to dc and speak to um, congressmen and senators about issues that were important to them why can't we have that why can't we have our students not just you know issues that are important to them and, and join a group, a national organization, and they can meet with people who, you know, legislate those, those type of, uh, that type of policy. Why can't we do that? And, but it also teaches them how to write. It teaches them how to speak. It teaches them about presence. There's, there's this whole thing that, you know, a whole program that comes together. And I think it's possible. So like for me, I talk about the next generation a lot. I talk about the future a lot because you know it's 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 not too late for my generation but I need to think about how I'm impacting the next generation um, so that I can mobilize the next generation to take over it's all about a legacy it's all about if I'm not grooming the next generation to do what they want to do um, and to do you know and to carry on from where I'm leaving off how can I move on to something else? I can't because I always worry about leaving this one. Who am I leaving it in the hands of? Who will continue the legacy? Um, so, um, so yeah, so that's what it, that's what it is for um, me. I'm sorry. Uh, there was oh, a phone no. call coming in. <laughs> oh, no, it's um, all good. You're a visionary. Melissa, um, you're a visionary, and that's why I changed my name on LinkedIn from professional basketball player to visionary, period. Yeah. Always long-term. How can I help the next one coming up underneath me? Yeah. Just each one, teach one. Yeah. You know, remain humble so that we'll be able to teach others. Right. Um, so I appreciate you again, you guys. There you have it, the one and only Miss Melissa Borm. Anything else you want to touch on before we wrap things up? Um, I just want to tell people to go vote. Um, if you need absentee votes, please reach out to me at um, Borum for Congress um, at gmail.com. Follow us on uh, Facebook at Melissa for Indiana. Um, please vote, vote, vote. Um, do your research on the candidates. Uh, figure out what the candidates are about because that's who, that's how you'll understand what they'll represent in Congress. Um, what people have done in the past is usually what they'll do in the future. And so, um, hold them accountable for things that you care about. You have as much of a right to hold people accountable as anybody else. And so for me, it's, you know, go out and vote, absentee, mail in, whatever you need to do to exercise your freedom, do that. I want to thank Melissa again for coming on the podcast and spreading awareness about what's going on in the political world and sharing her policy and what she is striving for while campaigning for Congress. For my brothers and sisters out there, do not forget to go out and vote when it's time. People put their lives on the line so we can have an opportunity to vote and have a voice in what's going on in today's world. Also, do not forget to hit subscribe and leave a review. Peace.